Hey everybody, welcome back to the Practitioner's Podcast, where we're applying Jesus-style disciple-making to everyday life. This episode and all of our episodes are powered by Navigators Church Ministries. For more information or to get connected, go to navigatorschurchministries.org. You like that little intentional pause there, didn't you, Justin? That was very pausy. I feel like I'm in a groove somehow. I liked it. <laughs> well, uh, I'm excited about today's episode, and I was reading what we're going to talk about again today as I was doing the intro, and so I got excited, so I, I kind of paused, and it was because I think that we're going to continue the dialogue about developing a pathway of disciple-making, and it's so important to churches, this development, these steps. Today, we're going to get nitty-gritty with it. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back before you go forward, because this is going to make a lot more sense partnered with last episode. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're talking about developing a pathway of disciple making for your church, for your ministry, and we're building on what we talked about last week. Uh, I want to start us with a metaphor uh, that culture is like a river. And it's not mine originally. It's this idea that uh, it's always moving. We have this image not only in Christianity, but also in Buddhist texts and Buddhist culture. But I want to take us back to a Puritan named Thomas Manton, who said in the mid-1600s, he said that culture is like a river. If it gets wider instead of deeper, Mm. it will lose its power. If it gets wider instead of deeper, it will lose its power. And so this idea of building a disciple-making pathway, we can even think about it as building the banks of a riverbed so that the, the water will move in the direction that you want it to go. And in some ways, it's as simple as that, that if there is no banks to the river, then you no longer have a river, you have a flood of some proportion. Um, And so as you're listening to this, our presumption is that you desire to build a disciple making culture, and you want to learn how to do it. So we don't need to convince you to do it. You've already decided that you want to do it. And we're going to give you seven steps in this episode about how to develop this disciple-making pathway for your church or your ministry. Now, a couple of things to know about these steps, right, is that uh, we hope that you use them as a tool. There's lots of different ways to do this, um, but we believe that if you are doing the work of developing a good pathway, you're going to hit some of these, if not all of these steps. And so just keep in mind, we want you to use whichever one of the steps are most important. And then if it's not applicable to you, then just go ahead and throw it out. At the end of the day, to, to kind of piggyback on the metaphor, establishing the banks of the river are what's going to be most beneficial to your organization. So take the time to be intentional here and really lean in. So there are seven steps. Justin, why don't you kick us off with number one? Yep. Step one is to determine your values. Determine your values. Now, This is, for some, a counterintuitive step one to a disciple-making pathway, but it's really important because cultures that are perfectly aligned with their values are what I call a match culture. And so when it's a match culture, your culture aligns to your values, then not only are the things you're doing aligned, but the things you're talking about are going to be aligned, and the way that you're talking about them is going to be aligned. And so um, matching 
the values to where you want the culture to be makes a huge difference, right? And before you can even do that, you have to determine together what are these values and how do we communicate about them in this pathway or in this culture, right? So if we uh, determine that one value that we have is that disciple makers will have the same language uh, at by the time they're through the pathway or as they're going into the pathway, they're going to have the same language around disciple making. Well, that's going to change the way that you do every step of the pathway. And so again, determining your values is step one. Take the time to do it. This is an easy one to skip over. But if you skip over it, you run the risk of having a culture or practices within the culture that don't line up with what you want people to do or to be. Okay, so that's step one. Tony, step two. Step two is that after you've kind of matched the culture, you've figured out the values, step two is all about describing the destination, right? You can think of this as your picture of the disciple, but at the end of the day, if someone goes through the pathway of being a disciple maker, what does that look like? How do you hope that people in your culture will become, right? How will they be different as a result of being shaped by your culture? And what I really think about as important as this is, is getting very specific about the characteristics that will mark them. What kind of practices do people in your culture do on a regular basis that identifies them as a, a disciple that's been through your kind of culture, your disciple-making pathway? For example, one of the things that we talk about a lot at Centerville Grace is that our community will be marked by people who are uh, intentionally loving on their neighbor, right? Reaching out to the unchurched. That's one of the identities, the picture of a disciple in our pathway. And every, every organization should have their own pathway and what that looks like so that they know how to direct everybody to the end goal right? Describe the destination is step two. Justin, tell us about step three. Yep. Step three is discuss the reality of your current culture. Discuss the reality of your current culture. So as you look at what's happening now in your culture, what are the values that are expressed in terms of what you're doing, in terms of the why you're doing it? What is the implied destination to what's expressed? What are the normal practices that are present? Are these practices helpful in light of your values and the destination, or are they something like a big rock that sits in the middle of that cultural river of your church? And if you just have that image, think about a huge rock there and and the water is going around it and it's slowing down the momentum of that water. It's diverting energy and really creating some sideways or even backwards momentum within the culture. And so when there, when you come upon those rocks, you need to take note of what these rocks are because these rocks have to be dealt with if you want a pathway that's going to be as effective as it can be in helping the culture move towards that destination that you described in the, in the last step. I just want to speak here from experience for just a second about step three. It's really hard to see the reality of your own culture. And Justin and I first met when he came into the church where I was the lead pastor, and he helped me really see the idea of what the current culture is. And so if if you're a lead pastor or if you're on church staff and you don't have an outside voice, 
looking at your culture, I, I just want to put a, a, a personal plug in for contacting the Navigators Church Ministries. This is what navigators all over the country do really, really well. And so if you need somebody who loves the Lord, who's disciple-making centered, and can help you evaluate your own culture, don't be afraid to ask for help. Amen to that, because it is true, right? It's hardest to see the culture that we're immersed in, right? And if you can't see it, then it's really hard to address the things that are blocking or um, are hindering the progress that you want to make within that culture. Okay, so again, step three, discuss the reality of your current culture. You're going to need to keep what's discussed in mind as you move through the next few steps, steps four through six. You have to do this step first because it it really impacts what happens in steps four, five, and six. Okay, step four is decide what practices everyone will do. Decide what practices everyone will do. Now, this is this is where this pathway stuff really starts to get challenging because rarely will everyone in the process of developing this pathway have the same ideas on what practices everyone should do or everyone will do. And so that's where, again, we go back to step one and the values that we have. That helps guide that discussion. Um, the destination helps guide that discussion. But you need to think on every level of church engagement. And so I'm going to give you a couple different uh, filters to filter what is happening through. Okay, so at the end of the day, after your pathway is finished, your church is probably going to have different opportunities. There's going to be large group or corporate opportunities. There's going to be medium-sized group opportunities. And there'll be small group and individual opportunities. So that's one filter that you can think of. Another filter that can help us in deciding what practices is to think about uh, a culture and what are the first steps. If someone is coming into your church, what are the first steps that you're asking that person to do or to take? And then you're going to think, well, what are the next steps after that? And then you're going to also have some ongoing steps, steps that don't end. It's not a, a term sort of thing like those first steps and next steps. It's going to be continuing steps. Okay, As you're deciding what practices everyone will do, you're going to be thinking about the different growth phases and needs of disciples. You know, we've done uh, last season, actually, we did a whole series on different phases that disciples are in and what they need in those phases. And so as you think about that, you're thinking about, okay, well, for uh, infant disciples, what do we have for them? How can we help them grow? For adolescent or young adult disciples, what do we have for them, et cetera, et cetera. But this is where the the difficult work normally starts, where people sometimes can get overwhelmed, to be honest, because it just feels like there's so much to wrestle through. And there is, and there is. And so I don't want to communicate that this is an easy thing to do or that it's something that's going to be accomplished in one or two meetings. If you want a pathway that's durable, if you want a pathway that's effective, you're going to have to fight for it. And you're going to have to move through a lot of conversations and focus conversations, clarifying conversations, so that you can get to a pathway that, again, is durable and, effect and effective. Uh, over time, your culture will unfold. And with the clarity that it brings, it will effectively be communicating 
to the people at your church or ministry, hey, people like us do things like this. And the things like this are these practices, right, that I'm talking about in step four. Okay, so again, step four, decide what practices everyone will do. All right, Tony, I'm popping it over to you for the next couple. Step five. Okay, so after you've talked about it in step four, now you actually have to do the really hard work of implementing it. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road. So you want to design a step-by-step process that outlines what will happen when, right? Take the practices that you already talked about, you already had the hard conversations about, and sequence them to help disciples grow. Now, the sequencing is really kind of the rubber meets the road part, and this is important. It's really tempting to be organic or what we call kind of uh, menu-based when it comes to this sort of thing so that people can pick what they want to do when they want to do it. But here's the problem. Because most Christians have never been taught anything about disciple-making, that leaves them overwhelmed and confused. So one of the benefits of a pathway and a sequenced step-by-step what will happen when is that everyone knows exactly what to do next. So in step five, take some time to talk about all the things that you did in step four and sequence them so that any disciple maker can follow them. All right, step six, every culture has rocks. We talked about the rocks that obstruct progress, right? The What the culture is, what's currently there. When it comes to step six, you've got to dig up and discard barriers, right? And this idea about going into each kind of thing that's in the the life of your church and asking the question, are they valuable? Are they moving people directly towards the destination? These oftentimes can be really, I want to try to be very careful how I say this, tradition-based practices. So go ahead, Justin. What were you going to say? <laughs> sacred cows. Sacred right? cows, right? Like That's <laughs> right. The thing that's that comes that's... to my mind. It's like, these are the things that when they come up, it's like, well, we can't get rid of that. Like, we've done that forever. We've and, done that forever, right? And we... Mary is so passionate about that. She would be crushed if we if we got rid of that. And And, and listen, sometimes when you dig them up and discard them, what you're saying is is not that they're not important, but they maybe they're just not a part of the discipleship pathway. Maybe they just yeah. need to be moved to a whole different stream, right? So there were some things that we did at, um, at, at my church that were super fun and people enjoyed them, but they're not a part of the discipleship pathway. And so as we paint a picture of a disciple, we don't include those steps, right? It's not critical that somebody attends the garage sale that we used to have in may are right? you putting down garage sales well, like no, i'm not putting them i'm just saying it's not part of the pathway right and so when we talk about the picture of disciple that's not a step along the journey and and being clear about that is doesn't mean you have to stop doing them it just means we have to stop prioritizing them and i think mm. that's probably the biggest difference and and listen leader if you're a church leader if you're a lay leader this will hurt people's feelings. And and that's why if you don't do the work early on about why you're doing this in step one, in step two, in step three, if you don't do that early work, um, you'll want to kind of recant in step six because this is the painstaking work. 
Yeah, this is the pruning step, right? And and pruning is often painful, and many times people don't want any part of it. Um, but the reality is if we don't prune, if we don't remove and dig up and discard these rocks in the middle of the river, then you're going to have a river that's not as effective as what it could be. Uh, it's not as focused as what it could be. And instead of energy all moving in the same direction with the same force and speed, we're going to have different parts of the church that's going to divert energy away from disciple making. That's a nice way to say it. Uh, a harsher or more pointed way to say it is we're going to have cesspools that are going to emerge in, in the river because there's these rocks and it's it's pulling energy away and and there's momentum that gets created, circular momentum where people get stuck because they're they're involved in something and giving a lot of passion and energy towards something that doesn't move them towards becoming a disciple or a disciple maker. And so this is a really hard part. It's a really hard part. But like Tony said, if we're not willing to move through these hard parts, then there's a price, a continual price that will be paid by the culture. Now, you're right. You're probably thinking, well, there's a price to be paid if I do this too. And there is. And so you have to choose as a leader, where are you going to pay the price? And how are you going to determine uh, which direction you want to go on that? Okay. Tony, anything else? Step six? Again, this is hard work. And so if if you're doing it, if you're doing the hard work, just find somebody to walk alongside you, whether that's this podcast or uh, a member of the NAVS team out in the community, even just a, another disciple-making pastor. Th- this is the kind of stuff that hurts people's feelings and it's hard to be a leader and it's just tough. So I don't want you to do it alone. It's just not, it's not that fun. You really plug in the nabs a lot today, Tony. I like this. Well, it's, it's only because this is some of the hard stuff that it's just in addition to all the other work that has to be done in the church. um, It's, it's hard to stay focused on this by yourself. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, too, one of the things that I'll share with pastors sometimes is let me come in and be the bad guy, right? To have the hard meeting and to say the hard thing that the pastor could very well say just as easily. But the difference is if I come in or someone else comes in and says it, then at the end of the meeting, the pastor can put his arm around the elder or whoever's upset and say, man, that was really tough, wasn't it? That's really hard to hear. And so there's a way to empathize without being the guy that's communicating it that allows the discussion just to happen a little more easily. I still blame Justin for stuff all the time. <laughs> Step seven. <There> you go. <laughs> Step seven, discern how to con- continually improve your pathway. Discern how to continually improve your pathway. Hey, let's not get backed and bogged down by this idea that it's got to be perfect before we roll it out. It doesn't have to be, and it's not going to be. Your first attempt at your discipleship pathway is not going to be your best attempt. But the thing is, if you get it rolling, well, now you can iterate, you can change it, you can make it more effective. And as people see what's trying to to be done and what it's trying to accomplish, then they will bring some feedback back as well. And then again, you can make adjustments. So just keep that in mind. Don't don't get bogged down with, oh, we got to get this exactly right before we roll it out. Just make your great, honest effort at it. Spend the time working with it and then just let it go and then figure out where do we need to adjust 
What are the iterations that we can make? And as long as you're doing that, you're going to continually improve that pathway. So there you have it. Seven steps. I'm going to read them real fast. And then Tony, you can take us out with our takeaway and action step. Step one, determine your values. Step two, describe the destination. Step three, discuss the reality of your current culture. Step four, decide what practices everyone will do. Step five, design a step-by-step process that outlines what will happen and when. Step six, dig up and discard barriers. Step seven, discern how to continually improve your pathway. We will put those in the show notes. Tony, take us out. Our takeaway, friends, every pathway begins with the first step. Be bold enough to take it. Every pathway begins with the first step. Be bold enough to take it. Your action step, evaluate where you are right now and develop a disciple-making pathway. And then take your next step. Evaluate where you are in developing a disciple-making pathway and take your next step. Friends, as always, we're forever thankful for you and the journey that we're on together. As always, if there's anything we can do to help, don't hesitate to let us know. And hey, the highest compliment you give us share this episode with a friend, maybe somebody who you know is passionate about disciple making. Until next time, we'll see you real soon.